Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Cecilia Lay and this is Fifth Emission. California is not one of the states where abortion rights are in immediate danger if the Supreme Court overturns Roe v. Wade. That's what most observers expect to happen this summer after a draft opinion written by Justice Samuel Alito leaked last week. In the wake of that leak, Governor Gavin Newsom doubled down on California remaining a sanctuary state for abortions. We will stand tall, we will stand firm, and we will affirm the constitutional currently constitutionally protected rights of women and girls, their reproductive rights and freedoms in California. Newsom also made the commitment that California will step up to help provide abortion services to those seeking them. And we're not going to roll over. We will not back down. And we will continue to fill in the gaps and address the disparities that continue to persist even in a state like ours, even in California. One Californian, an East Bay obstetrician and gynecologist, has made it a point to travel to states where those protections aren't available. Dr. Rebecca Taub makes monthly trips to provide care in clinics in Kansas and Oklahoma. The Chronicle spent some time following Taub last year. At the time, women from Texas were arriving at the Oklahoma abortion clinic where she worked in order to get abortion services. That's because last September, Texas lawmakers had passed SB 8, which banned nearly all abortions after a heartbeat is detected. Clinics in Oklahoma struggle to find enough local doctors to meet the demand. That's where providers like Dr. Taub step in. She serves patients who have a variety of life circumstances. Some are desperate to have an abortion for life-threatening medical reasons. Like one clinic patient, 20-year-old Courtney. I would have tried to force a miscarriage. I'm that desperate at this point because I know what would happen if I would go to term. Even if I would have been prosecuted somehow for murder or attempted murder, Mm -hmm. I still would have done it because at least I'd be alive. And Judith, who left her four children behind to drive six and a half hours from Houston to Oklahoma City to get an abortion. I prayed and I listened to my gospel music, but um, I mean, people go through things and I know I was going through something and I, I really wasn't ready to bring a baby into this world. Me, neither a father. We both were sickly people, and we're just not ready. Just if anything is to happen to us, who's going to take care of our baby? Dr. Taub has seen firsthand what a world without Roe v. Wade would look like in about half the country. Today, she joins me on Fifth Emission to talk about her thoughts on the latest news from the Supreme Court. With Roe v. Wade hanging in the balance, she discusses what keeps her motivated in her work, what she thinks her out-of-state work will look like now, and whether California is ready for the same kind of influx that Midwestern states have already seen. Also in this episode, we asked Chronicle readers and listeners to share their reactions to the likely end of Roe v. Wade. You'll hear from women who'll talk about why they decided to have an abortion and why having that choice was so critical. 
First, let's start with Dr. Rebecca Taub. Dr. Taub, thank you so much for joining me on Fifth Emission. Thank you so much for having me. The Guttmacher Institute estimates that the number of -of out-of-state women of childbearing age whose nearest abortion clinic would be in California would increase by 3,000 percent if Roe v. Wade is struck down. The state, of course, is bracing itself for this influx, and you've spent a lot of time providing abortion care services to women who had to travel far to receive it. Tell me, what is it like treating women under those circumstances? How does that change your role as a provider? There are definitely considerations when people are coming from so far away, when you are not going to be able to see people for follow-up or, you know, when you're counseling people about complications and know that they may not be able to seek care in their home state if that is happening to them. It definitely sort of just changes the calculus about how you counsel people. We know that abortion is an incredibly safe procedure, but, you know, people do sometimes need follow-up care, and it definitely makes it more challenging when people are coming from very far away or might not be able to, you know, come back for a timely follow-up. And then the other thing is when people have to make arrangements to be able to travel such a long distance, whether that's driving or booking a plane, the expense, and then also the time, the time away from work, the childcare that they may need. Um, It means that people are presenting to clinics at later gestational ages. And as I said, abortion is a very, very safe procedure, safer than childbirth, but it is safer the earlier that you do it in pregnancy. And so that means that um, we are certainly going to be seeing people presenting later in pregnancy, which is one of the many reasons that we know that these abortion restrictions have nothing to do with the safety of pregnant people and have everything to do with just controlling reproduction. Mm -hmm. And what compelled you, because I know you're based in the East Bay, what compelled you to also provide services out of state? How did you get connected to that work? Yeah, so that was something that um, I was always interested in during my training, during my residency um, and my fellowship in complex family planning. I have lived in many wonderful cities that are all sort of, you know, liberal bubbles where we have the privilege of generally abortion care is easier to access. And there are many abortion providers. You know, if I was not in the East Bay, patients in the East Bay would still have access to abortion. And uh, so it was important to me to be able to provide care to patients who, you know, were having decreased access. And so traveling out of state was an opportunity that I sought out kind of from the beginning. You face a lot of risk by providing abortion in areas like Oklahoma and Kansas that are hostile both politically and culturally to those services. How do you negotiate your own safety with the work that you're doing? Yeah, I mean, you know, safety is is definitely a consideration. It's something that, you know, I talk a lot to my family about, something that I certainly keep in mind. But, you know, I live out of state. And so it's only a couple of days per month that I am in those situations. And certainly there is risk to being an abortion provider, regardless of where you are. But, you know, even more than my personal safety, I I worry about the safety of our clinic staff who are living in those communities. And the protesters that we see at clinic often know their names, know their faces, um, whereas I can stay relatively anonymous. And I also, with the increase in these sort of vigilante bills that we're seeing, like Texas SB8 and Oklahoma uh, 1503 that was just passed last week, I really worry about the safety of our patients as well. Mm-hmm. You traveled to Oklahoma from the East Bay to help provide care for women there, and that included 
an influx of women from Texas after the state passed a six-week abortion ban last year. And last month, the governor of Oklahoma signed a bill making abortion a felony. So what does your out-of-state work look like now? Yeah, so the clinic that I travel to has sites in both Oklahoma and Kansas. And during the course of my time working there, I've gone to both of those states. We are obviously monitoring the situation in Oklahoma very closely. And, you know, as these restrictions get passed and then enacted, um, we are, you know, changing our clinic operations as we need to. And we are really focusing on increasing capacity in our Kansas clinic to be able to take care of the influx of patients that we are seeing and anticipate continuing to see there. So personally, I am primarily going to Kansas now. And, you know, when Texas SB8 got passed, about two-thirds of patients that we were seeing in Oklahoma were from Texas and about half of the patients in Kansas. And that's up from, you know, maybe just a handful of patients in Oklahoma and and rare patients in Kansas from Texas previously. And so as we see more and more states passing restrictions like this, we are going to see sort of, you know, a ripple effect where uh, abortion access just gets pushed out farther and farther. And it's really going to affect, of course, patients in those states that are passing such significant restrictions, but also patients in states that have relatively better access, states like Kansas, it's going to be challenging for people in Kansas to be able to access this care as well, because those appointments Mm -hmm. are going to be getting filled with people from out of state. This is not an issue that is isolated to people who live in states that are passing restrictions. This is really going to affect people all over. The work that you do was highlighted by my colleague, Joe Garofoli. And in the story that he did about your work, you said that you don't ask patients why they've come to the clinic for your care. You're really focused on maintaining a non-judgmental attitude and on providing quality care. But I, I would imagine that there are stories that you've heard along the way that illuminate the weight that these women are carrying, not only in making the decision to get an abortion, but having to travel far to receive it. Are there patients or specific anecdotes that have stayed with you? Yeah, I mean, there are definitely people who choose to share their story. And, um, you know, I think for a lot of our patients, sharing their story and having a safe place to be able to do that is very therapeutic. Our patients face so much stigma just being able to make their decision, often not being able to tell their friends or family, you know, and then having to make it to our clinic, especially with the barriers that so many people are facing now. We truly don't ask people what their reasons are are for coming because we know that with the number of barriers that people face coming to our clinic, we trust that once they've made it to us that we know that they're making the right decision for, for themselves and for their family. Before we take a break, let's hear from some of the women we asked to share their reactions to the leaked Supreme Court opinion. Many of them remember a time when Roe v. Wade protections were not in place. My name is Donna McLean. I was a nurse at Stanford in the ICU in 1968. And I remember very well a young woman that came in to the ICU with sepsis or overwhelming infection after having a botched abortion performed at some place outside the hospital. This was certainly before Roe v. Wade. I can remember the exact room and the bed number that this young woman was in. And oddly enough, I cannot remember her name. She was blonde. She was hemorrhaging. And the smell in the room from the infection was 
overwhelming. Even as a nurse, I remember it to this day, and this is many, many years later. I consider this barbaric. Please, please do not let us go back to those times. I know all too well what that is like. I was 17 in 1969 when I gave birth to a baby boy. I was alone when my water broke, and I had no idea what was happening. I was never given any preparation for labor. I was alone as I endured labor and birth with no support. I was at a Catholic, quote, charities, quote, hospital. And as I cried after his birth, I was told by the nurse, you made your bed, so stop feeling sorry for yourself. I wouldn't wish an unwanted pregnancy on a dog. The trauma is still raw. Those were the voices of 79-year-old Donna McLean and a 69-year-old San Francisco woman who asked us not to use her name. More with Dr. Rebecca Taub after a quick break. She'll share what she thinks California lawmakers should keep in mind as the state prepares for more women arriving for abortion care services. We'll be right back. You can support the newsroom that creates Fifth Emission by signing up for unlimited access at sfchronicle.com pod or by downloading the San Francisco Chronicle app. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm neither proud nor ashamed of the decision to have an abortion in 1977. After putting each other through school and having two children, my husband and I were finally in a position where we could both work and provide well for our family. I'm eternally grateful that I was able to have a legal therapeutic abortion very early on, and there were no regrets. I am now 74 years old and cannot imagine what my life would have been like with a third child. I want to share my story now as I am not alone and livid that the right to choose may be taken away from women. Initially, I was going to ask my letter to be anonymous. We shouldn't have to have our private lives shared, but this is too important to let pass. That was the voice of 74-year-old Santa Rosa resident Gail Suley. She's one of the Chronicle readers who wanted to share her reaction to the potential fall of Roe v. Wade. Let's get back into my conversation with Dr. Rebecca Taub. In this part of our talk, I ask her what her work will look like moving forward and what Californians should remember despite living in a state where abortion remains a constitutional right. California state legislators are making moves at the moment to commit to keeping the state as an abortion haven. That might provide some comfort to people, but many are warning about the burdens and the ripple effect that's going to cause to our state's health care system. What are you anticipating as a provider? Yeah, I think there are a lot of unknowns, so it's hard to know exactly what it's going to look like. We are definitely trying to prepare for and seeing an influx of patients who are coming from out of state. And the support that we have in the California legislature, I mean, 
it means a lot to us that, you know, we really feel the support for ourselves and for our patients. We have, as I've said, many abortion providers in California, but we are a small part of the healthcare infrastructure. And particularly at this moment in time coming off of the COVID pandemic, where we have been seeing healthcare providers leaving the profession in droves and many, many healthcare systems are already understaffed. You know, I think, you know, we're certainly going to face challenges in been being able to increase our capacity, but we are definitely, you know, kind of exploring all options and really working to be able to do that and to meet that demand. Initially, a lot of the people that we're going to be able to, that we are going to see who are able to come to California are really going to be people who have more privilege and are able to, you know, afford that trip and have that time off of work without losing their job. And so I think, you know, while California, I do believe, is going to play a very important role in being able to provide this care as we see more restrictions passed nationally, I think it's important for us to also keep in mind that there are there is a lot of grassroots activism and support that is happening in other states that we should also support because there are uh, there's a big group of people that are not going to be able to make those trips and travel, and those are the people who are going to be disproportionately affected by these restrictions. And which groups of Californians do you think might get impacted by this influx of people coming from out of state to California to get abortion care services? You know, we've been hearing that rural or low-income California residents might feel the brunt of this. Is that right? Yes, I think that's absolutely correct. I think both in California and nationwide, the people who are going to be disproportionately affected by these laws are going to be Black pregnant people people of lower socioeconomic status, people of color, and then certainly people in rural areas already have decreased access to care. And I think particularly in California, where there is generally good access, people in rural areas are um, often the ones who, you know, are sort of living in a situation where they are already far from a clinic kind of similar to states that are more restrictive. And so, you know, we need to do everything we can to make this, you know, a just and equitable system where we're really trying to make sure that we're able to provide care equitably. Since you've been on the front lines of this kind of work, what do you think is critical for California lawmakers to understand? You say, you know, healthcare is this network of connected services. Is there something that you want to make sure that they understand as they're trying to prepare for what's to come? Yeah, I think it's important for them to understand the disparities that we are going to see in people who are coming to California. And, you know, I feel very fortunate and very privileged to be in this state, and I am very grateful um, for the support of our legislature. But I think it's important that we don't develop kind of a a California savior complex, if you will, Mm -hmm. and recognize that you know, it's not enough to just be able to increase our capacity. We really need to be able to figure out how to reach those who are the most vulnerable because we know that people who have privilege are going to be able to access abortion regardless of what state they live in. And wealthy white women will always have access to abortion. And so, you know, really being able to reach those people who are going to preferentially suffer from this decrease in access is going to be really important for us. Dr. Tab, I know there's going to be a lot of things that will unfold as the months move on. Where do you think you're going to focus your efforts now if you're going to imagine the, the next few months or the years to come? 
There's a lot of discussions that are happening among clinicians in the state of California and, you know, abortion clinic workers. And there are a lot of unknowns. It's, it's hard to know exactly what this is going to look like and how many people are going to come and where are they going to come. So, you know, it's hard. Healthcare is, you know, it's a it's a big system and it's not a system that's known for uh being able to change quickly or, you know, be necessarily very flexible. But I think personally, you know, I would say the same. I am sort of figuring out, I'm planning on continuing to go to Kansas for the meantime. And um, I hope and anticipate that Kansas will continue to have access to abortion care. But if that's not the case, I'm, you know, then I will go wherever I'm needed and wherever I can go. So I think, you know, we will definitely see probably more, spaces potentially, you know, along state borders between, you know, higher access states and lower access states, that I think is going to be an opportunity. There's going to be obviously a lot of changes and it's going to be a really dynamic situation for a while. You mentioned that you were committed to the idea of traveling out of state even as you were training in your profession. And I also just wonder, how has the past year changed your view of the work? You're a medical provider, but abortion is so political you know, how has the past year changed you? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's so important to remember that abortion is a regular part of reproductive care. It is part of the reproductive spectrum and it is one of the things that can happen when, you know, people get pregnant along with a delivery or a miscarriage. And, you know, again, it, it should be a decision that is made between a patient and a provider. And, you know, it's so heavily politicized that it certainly is, you know, treated differently than the rest of the work that I do as an OBGYN. And so it has certainly politicized me as a person and, you know, continuing to advocate for my patients and advocate for this care, work with our legislators and work with our allies is going to be incredibly important as we move forward. It's often very easy for folks in the Bay Area to feel like we're in a protected bubble when it comes to abortion. What do you think is important for Bay Area residents to remember in light of Roe v. Wade potentially being thrown out? It is true. We are relatively protected, both being not only in California, but specifically in the Bay Area. It is safer to access this care. Many people can access this care at their regular OBGYN and not have to cross protesters to be able to get into their clinics. But this is an issue that affects all of us. And I think that it's important that we don't, you know, sit comfortably in our bubble and kind of preach to the choir. I think it's important for us to remember that we are going to be affected as well. You know, if we see these patients coming in, for people who fly in, they're going to fly into population centers. And so that is going to affect the access that people in the Bay Area have to care as well. And also, mm -hmm. you know, we're we're one country, even though it doesn't always feel that way. And, you know, what affects one person's reproductive freedom affects all of our reproductive freedom. And so the fight over abortion is not the end of the fight over reproductive choice. And this is coming for all of us. Dr. Tab, I appreciate you taking the time to speak with me. I know you're very busy. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me. It was great talking to you. That was East Bay OBGYN Dr. Rebecca Taub. Check out the Chronicle's profile of her work by senior political writer Joe Garofoli, who's also the host of It's All Political on Fit the Mission, and photographer Gabrielle Lurie. It's at sfchronicle.com and the Chronicle app. This episode was produced with help from Vanessa Ararondo and Nick Eilerson. Thanks to them and King Kaufman for the edits, and to you for listening. <laughs>